morning, everybody. So let's start out by taking a look at John chapter 14 and uh, starting in verse 1. John chapter 14 and verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know me, you do know him, and have seen him. Let's open in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for the gathered people of God. We ask that you would bless us this day, bless our efforts as we uh, feebly attempt to worship you as we ought. Please grant us minds uh, free of distraction from our worldly engagements. We do ask that you would help me to uh, teach well, be clear, and we ask that you would uh, draw near to us as we draw near to you. May we meditate and think upon you as our God of truth, uh, perfectly true in, in every possible way. We thank you and praise you for all that you do for us and on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if uh, you've been here when I've uh, had the opportunity to go through a lesson on Sunday morning, I've, I've had the habit of looking at uh, the question from the Baptist Catechism, What is God? and just picking a word out of there and spending 25 to 30 minutes uh, kind of expanding on that, fleshing that out. Uh, a lot of quotes today and Bible verses. And so the springboard is from Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 2. The Lord our God is but one only living and true God. And, uh, and it goes on to say, abundant in goodness and truth. And then again, the Baptist Catechism, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And truth being the word that we'll focus in on today. God's truth and faithfulness. When something is truly true, kind of a tautology there, you know, something's true. But if it's truly true, it is never the case that it is not true. It is always true. God is true in every possible way that we can think about him, his being, his speech, and his action. God is not fake, God does not lie, and God does not masquerade about. What God says he will do, it does come to pass. To put that another way, God is faithful to fulfill his promises. God never behaves in a way that is not godlike. God is not false in his speech. So this heading, God God's truth and faithfulness. God is faithful and true. There is a connection between truth and faithfulness. 
A true God or a God of truth will always be faithful. A faithful God is a trustworthy God and will always be true. In Exodus 34 and Psalm 117 below, we see the Hebrew word is translated truth in the KJV and KJV and faithfulness in the ESV and NASB. So there is a little bit of overlap in the English language with that Hebrew word. Exodus 34, 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. And then in the ESV, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in goodness and truth. Uh, psalm 117.1.2, the shortest psalm in the Bible. It's the whole psalm. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And again, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So moving on to some definitions, God's truth and faithfulness. Start with truth is divine. It is not creaturely. Truth is absolute not conditional. Truth is objective. It is not subjective. And truth is unchangeable. That is, it is not mutable. And so Webster's here, I appreciate the, the 1828 version, uh, bringing in God and the Bible into the examples and definitions of the words. You'll see that as we go through these two, truth and faithfulness. Truth, conformity to fact or reality, exact accordance with that which is or has been or shall be. The truth of God is his veracity and faithfulness. And then on to faithfulness. Uh, I included the whole thing here instead of just excerpting some of the entries. So this is all four entries from the Webster's 1828. Fidelity, loyalty, firm adherence to allegiance and duty is the faithfulness of a subject. Truth, veracity is the faithfulness of God. Strict adherence to injunctions and to the duties of a station as the faithfulness of servants or ministers. Strict performance of promises, vows, or covenants, constancy and affection as the faithfulness of a husband or wife. So it's a little bit of a background to get started on truth and faithfulness. Uh, Beaky, Joel Beaky and Smalley, they have uh, a systematic theology in the library and they summarize Bavinck's uh, reformed dogmatics, his thoughts on truth, in saying, we agree with Herman, Bavink, and God, that God, in three sentences of the word truth, cohere. First, God is truth in the metaphysical sense of reality. He is the true God, as opposed to all false and unreal deities. Second, God is truth in the logical sense of accuracy. He's a living and eternal wisdom that knows all things as they are, and his words are without error. Third, God is truth in the ethical sense of fidelity. He lives, speaks, and acts with unfailing faithfulness, consistency, and moral integrity. And then here we have Terry Johnson. I've leaned on him over the past uh, opportunities I've had on talking about the perfections of God. He's, he's quite good, and we have uh, one of his books in the library, The Excellencies of God. All truth conforms to the reality that God is. C.S. Lewis refers to God as the rock-bottom irreducible fact on which all other facts depend. Truth is singular, absolute, and universal. It is an aspect of God's essential nature. Truth is eternal and unchanging, 
It is unalterable and perfect. Truth is originally from God, says Edward Lee. He is the eternal original spring and fountain of all truth. The truth of God and the faithfulness of God are closely associated because God is true. He can be relied on. He is true to his word. God can as well cease to be God as cease to be true, maintains Thomas Watson. So now we're going to take a look at several considerations of truth as it pertains to God. So the first being the most difficult and is ultimately incomprehensible, though it is apprehensible. Let's consider the truth that the one true God is triune or trinity. So I won't be expanding on the trinity here, just simply to state what's happening, and I look forward to Pastor Edwards uh, going over that in a few Lord's Days. But to start off with, uh, 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, Chapter 2 of God and of the Holy Trinity. In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word, or Son, and Holy Spirit, of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations, which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him. That's a lot crammed in there, quite a mouthful. Mouthful. God is triune, that's true. This is what the scriptures clear, clearly teach. Uh, one God, three persons, Father truly God, Son truly God, Holy Spirit truly God. And so we have here three verses speaking to that. Uh, Isaiah 65, God of truth, he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth, and he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. And to the Son, grace and truth, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And as it pertains to the Spirit, John 14, Spirit of truth, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so again, uh, Beaky and Smalley here from their uh, systematic theology in relation to the Trinity and truth. In the gospel, the faithfulness of God is revealed in Trinitarian form. Christ says that the Father is the true God. He also says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. In context, the truth pertains to knowing and seeing God. Christ, then, is the totally accurate and reliable revelation of God, the, re the glorious word of the Father. Christ is the true light that gives life to men, the true bread from heaven of which manna was only a shadow, and the true vine in which union with whom we can bear spiritual fruit. The Father and the Son send the Spirit of truth, so called because he bears witness to Christ's glory through the apostolic testimony in contrast to the errors of this world. The anointing of the Spirit enables people to know God, for it, for it is true and is no lie. The Holy Spirit's witness is utterly trustworthy, for the Spirit is the truth. And so the next heading, uh, true God versus false God. Let's consider God as the true God, one true God, 
the one and only true and living God. So R.C., in his exposition of the Westminster Confession, comments on the phrase, there's but one only living and true God, that it points to God's singularity. The, the God professed here is neither an abstract, impersonal force, nor a philosophical concept, but a personal, living being. He's not imagined or invented, but is real, alive, and the source of life itself. And as I mentioned earlier, I always find Terry Johnson helpful. Uh, and this is from his book, Excellencies of God. God's essence or being is true and real. He is not an imaginary God. He is not a false God. He is the only true God, says Jesus in John 17. We find throughout the Bible a contrast between idols and the true God. Isaiah denounces idolatry with scathing irony. The carpenter, he says, acquires a piece of cedar or cypress. With one part, he builds a fire to warm himself and cook his food. With another part, he fashions an idol which he serves. And in Isaiah 44, we read, Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat, he roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. You know, clearly we see the insanity of suppressing the truth and unrighteousness here uh, to fall down before a block of wood. And Jeremiah and Psalm uh, 96 uh, expand on this idea as well. Uh, the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. All his wrath, the earth quakes. At his wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. And Psalm 96, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And so now on to God of truth, a God that does not err. God does not make mistakes. He is the benchmark for truth. There is no error in him. There is no error in his word or works. Uh, this is from Herman, Herman Babink. Uh, God is the truth in its absolute fullness. He therefore is the primary, the original truth, the source of all truth, the truth in all truth. He is the ground of the truth, of the true being of all things, of the knowability and conceivability, the ideal and archetype of all truth, of all ethical being, of all the rules and laws in light of which the nature and manifestation of all things should be judged and on which they should be modeled. God is the source and origin of the knowledge of truth in all areas of life, the light in which alone we can see light, the sun of all spirits. You I invoke, O God, the truth in, by, and through whom all truths are true. So that last little quote within a quote there is Herman quoting from Augustine's Confessions, and some verses along these lines that God is true, does not err, does not lie. Titus 1, 1 and 2, Paul, servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Hebrews chapter 6, 
So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Psalm 1830. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Last one, Proverbs 30. So, the next heading, Trustworthy and Faithful. And this is from Lewis Burkhoff, Systematic Theology. A lot of systematic theologies today. Uh, there is still another aspect of this divine perfection, and one that is always regarded as of the greatest importance. It is generally called his faithfulness in virtue of which he is ever mindful of his covenant and fulfills all the promises which he has made to his people. This faithfulness of God is of the utmost practi <coughs> practical significance to the people of God. It is the ground of their confidence, the foundation of their hope, and the cause of their rejoicing. It saves them from the despair to which their own unfaithfulness might easily lead, gives them courage to carry on in spite of their failures, and fills their hearts with joyful anticipations, even when they are deeply conscious of the fact that they have forfeited all the blessings of God. And then we've got four verses under this heading. Deuteronomy 7, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And then Romans 3. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. The Psalm 100, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 111, The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. And so, ooh, time flies. We will move on into a catechism. This is from John Flavel, uh, the concept of a catechism within a catechism. They take the, the, the question, what is God? And then they break it down into to further pieces. So I found it helpful, and we'll scoot through this. What is the truth of God? It is an essential property of his nature, whereby he is perfectly faithful in himself and in all that he has spoken. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. He is a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Question two. What is the first property of divine truth? That it is essential and necessary to God. He cannot lie. 
Titus 1, 2. What is the second property of it? That it is everlasting and abiding to all generations. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. What's the third property of divine truth? That God is universally true in all his words and works. In all his words, thy word is truth. In all his works, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant. What is the first lesson from God's truth to be learned? That truth and sincerity of heart is that which is most suitable and pleasing to God. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. What's the second lesson to be learned from God's truth? That whatever God has foretold shall assuredly come to pass and be fulfilled in his time. Not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord our God spoke concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing has failed thereof. What is the third lesson from the truth of God? That a promise from God is full security to the faith of his people, and they may look upon it as good as a mercy in hand, for he is faithful that promised. And the fourth, fourth lesson from God's truth, whatever God has threatened in his word against sinners shall surely come upon them, except they repent. But my word and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. The word which I have spoken shall be done, says the Lord our God. Fifth lesson, falsehood in words and actions is contrary to God's nature and abhorred by him. You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there was no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And last question, last lesson from God's truth. The day of judgment will rightly and justly state every man's condition. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. So this last portion, I've taken some scripture references and put them into different categories under this heading, truth in action, the imperatives, starting off with a, a quote from Thomas Boston from his exposition of the Westminster Assembly Shorter Catechism. Imitate God in this, his adorable perfection by speaking the truth in love. Let the strictest rules of truth and sincerity be observed by you in all your dealings and intercourse. With men, lay aside all lying, falsehood, and dissimulation, all equivocations and secret reservations in your words and promises, and speak the truth, every man with his neighbor. Uh, first heading, believe the truth. Second Thessalonians, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the truth and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm 
and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And then 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinences from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And speak the truth. Colossians chapter 3. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And Proverbs 8. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Ephesians chapter 4. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, practice the truth. First John 1. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 1 Peter 1, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. John 3, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Last section here, put on the belt of, belt of truth, Ephesians 6, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. So we're just about done here. Got a, took some excerpts, synopsis of uh, passages in John that speak to truth, and then clo uh, close out with a uh, quotation from Stephen Lawson, an article he wrote in uh, Table Talk. Worship in spirit and truth, John 4, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The truth will set you free. John chapter 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I am the way and the truth and the life. John 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Eternal life is knowing the only true God. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And lastly, God's word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Truth possesses supernatural power. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. When received by faith, the truth delivers our souls from the tyranny of sin. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. 
The truth cleanses and purifies. It penetrates into the deepest level of the human heart, cuts to the bone, and works from the inside out. It has life-changing power. It converts, sanctifies, and strengthens. It conforms, transforms, and reforms. Truth renews our minds, revives our hearts, and redirects our steps. Truth has the final word in all matters, telling us how to worship and how to walk. It tells us how to follow Christ. It is the final arbiter on any subject. It is the final judge of every life. All people are measured by the truth. Every life is weighed in the balances by the truth. Every destiny is marked by the truth. And so the truth will have the final say in every life. And the rest is extra credit. Uh, let's, let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you. You are worthy of our love and adoration. We do ask that you would uh, cause your spirit to uh, be in this place. Uh, bless the preaching next hour. Uh, grant our pastor clarity and uh and, and allow us to listen attentively. Uh, we pray for encouragement and exhortation and blessing of uh, the, the worship hour. We do thank you for the Lord's Day, and, and we thank you for this time that we could spend considering you as our God of truth. And again, we do ask that you would bless our efforts. Please help us to uh, act kindly toward one another and uh, take seriously our, our duty to fellowship with one another and love each other as we ought. Uh, we thank you and praise you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen.